Welcome to the Shale Solutions Podcast. I'm excited today to bring you an episode digging into yet another industry. Today I am joined by Drake Vant Hull. He is the owner and founder of Performance Financial. They are an outsourced CPA, tax, and accounting firm. I really liked this episode as the CPA, accounting, uh, tax side of things is something that I really don't know much about. While I have been able to partake in a lot of aspects of business in my past jobs and what I have studied out on my own, this is something that I really have never touched on. And I was fascinated to find how the application of the concepts is very similar to the application of continuous improvement and really how the how the financial side can be used as you know performance indicators and you know since it's involving money which is what business is ultimately all about is a as you would expect a significant tool in making decisions and leading improving your business so being able to talk to drake who has a lot of experience with this and really how he helps his customers, not only with basic financials, accounting, covering taxes, but how to take their financial information, use that to make informed decisions, and move their business forward. So really just enjoyed the conversation, finding connections between what I like to do in business and what Drake has done on the financial side of things. I think we definitely covered a lot of good topics and I was able to get some insight out of him on things for a business owner to consider when it comes to the financial side of things, taxes, and how to use that information in a productive way. For me, I'm very process-oriented where I can come in as help a business narrow down their processes, scale them. Drake certainly does very similar things with the financial side of business, but I really enjoyed learning how how to take that financial information and use that to guide, you know, what, what part of the business to invest further in, flush out where opportunities are. All in all, just a great conversation to be a part of and listen to if you're interested in business, own your own business, or just looking to expand your knowledge of the different aspects that goes into running any sort of business. All in all, it was a fun conversation. I really enjoyed learning more and diving into different new topics as well as how similar topics that I enjoy, like processes and systems, apply to the financial side of a business. And of course, as always, learning more about Drake's journey and how he found his way into owning his own business. So with that, we'll jump into the conversation. Joining me today is Drake Van Hull. He's the owner of Performance Financial. They are your trusted advisor for bookkeeping, advisory, and taxes. How are we doing today, Drake? Dude, it is a cold one out there, man. Holy cow, yeah. That has been the majority of our conversation before we got this podcast started. It mm-hmm. is freezing out. <laughs> I don't think I don't think it's dipped really quite below zero until now and it we got we got hammered with it. It's I think I, my drive in here was all below zero, like minus five, mm-hmm. minus six the whole way in. But hey, welcome to central Iowa. <laughs> yeah, all right. My my car, the the external thermostat doesn't work. Ah, nice. So it likes to tell me it's eighty five degrees out. <laughs> And then in the summer, I think it thought it was 120. <laughs> Mine said negative six, negative five on the way in. And it feels like all of that and maybe even colder with that wind out there. But, dude, look at us, a couple of Midwesterners talking about the weather. Yeah. <laughs> it is funny. Yeah. I've, I've 
I've met a couple people from like more on like the coastal ends of the country and yep. they're yeah you're talking with them and you just kind of notice how small talk's a little different depending where you're at <laughs> and I always laugh there's a, a YouTube channel I don't know if it's you betcha or chart there's some people they always make yep. they're from the Midwest they make fun of the Midwest and it's how the weather's it. always the their podcast have you seen their podcast in the bar I've, I've just seen clips oh, but i need to go like listen to it it is hilarious their stuff they talk about is just spot on they know their audience very well mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it took me it took me meeting somebody from like the more of the east coast to realize how how midwest i really am <laughs> <laughs> i love it man well thanks for having me on dude i'm really looking forward to this i love yeah, being me on too. podcasts so this uh i've as people can tell, I've, I've I've dived into a lot of different aspects of business. I love studying more, but I'll admit the the financial accounting side of things I really do not know yeah. much at all about. Uh, so you want to maybe give a, a brief little intro to your business and kind of the things you guys focus on? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, when everybody thinks of like the CPA firm, um, they think of taxes, they think of audits. They think, uh, you know, that's kind of the core thoughts. And, and we do taxes. We don't do any audits. But really mm-hmm. what our kind of focus is is really being proactive business advisors. And we accomplish that through having sound bookkeeping, really good advisory, and then our tax returns are really a product of that. So uh, really that that's kind of the flow of how our company works. And really the way we've, we're built that way is – kind of my vision of what I see happening in the industry in probably the next five to 10 years. So you're going to hear a lot of people talk about AI and blockchain and all that kind of stuff. And almost Mm -hmm. nobody knows what the heck any of that stuff is, but it's coming and it's making a massive impact in the financial sector world. It's Mm -hmm. incredibly, incredibly impactful in the day to day. And so what I see coming from that is your bookkeeping and that general compliance is going to go out the door. Uh, hmm. AI and blockchain is going to take that away. It's already doing that to some extent. Um, if you use like a QuickBooks online for your bookkeeping, um, QuickBooks probably is doing 50% of the heavy lifting for your monthly bookkeeping, for tracking everything. You can link it up to your bank account. You can set rules in place. It will even go, hey, I see this new transaction from this certain company that you've never had before, Mm -hmm. but we know because it says McDonald's in there that it's probably meals and entertainment. And so it'll make that decision for you. So it connects to your bank account, and it pulls in transaction by transaction on a daily basis. And so it's doing a lot of that heavy lifting for us already on the front end so that we can come in and go, hey, whenever you see this in the bank text, just code it to this, and we don't even have to do anything. It automatically records those transactions for us, so it's really cool. Now, the reason I say, hey, AI, blockchain technology, that's what those technologies are meant to do, is to take away that manual process mm-hmm. of having to record those transactions. And so this is where you know the next kind of service that we really focus on, the advisory, really comes and plays a massive role Um, because we're taking that information and then now we're making decisions with it. So a lot of times people just talk about, yeah, these are what our numbers are, but they're not actually making decisions off of them. They're not using them to help kind of steer their business. And there's tons of guys out there that we always joke that are just shooting from the hip. You know, cash is in the bank, so we must be doing all right inside of the business. And 
And in five to 10 years, when everybody is on an equal playing field of actually having good numbers to look at, the dividing factor between businesses is going to be how they make decisions off of that information. Mm -hmm. So this is really where we put a key focus on the advisory piece to really, one, get you started doing some of that, understanding your numbers and making decisions off of them. Because when that day comes where 95 plus percent of your transactions are being accounted for accurately and everybody else's are, how are you going to separate yourself when you're making decisions inside of your business? So mm. those two are our core focuses. Um, and then the, they really play really well into the tax side. If we have good numbers and we've made good decisions off them and been proactive, now the tax return just becomes a little bump in the road in the late winter, early springtime, because mm-hmm. we've talked about it all year. It's something we've put focus and effort into. We've planned about it. And so really we don't, you know, te- clients will come to us scared about their taxes and things like that. But the ultimate goal is to make them just very seamless and easy to get through. Um, and most people, that's their biggest fear. So that's what we're trying to kind of accomplish is taking the, a lot of the scare out of your taxes, but also mm-hmm. how do we put more money into your bank account? How do we make sure that you have, you know, enough cash to uh, pay for operations in, in slow times? And how do we, you know, set up you for generational wealth type thing. You know, so doing all those types of plans, that's what's fun to me. Mm-hmm. I love the advisory piece. That's what I'm most passionate about. Um, and so that's the really cool thing that I think that we do. Yeah. Awesome. So really like the thing you, that stuck out most to me is making decisions based on the numbers. So what are some of those key numbers and metrics that you're referencing there? Yeah. So it's going to depend entirely on the business. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was having this conversation. So I do a lot of business coaching. Um, one way for for our success and our growth in the last almost two years is I've really connected well with other people. I've used the Internet. I'm not, not to toot my own horn, but I've been great on Facebook. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I found a business partner on there. I've joined a bunch of these different masterminds. I one of the one of my best friends in the world runs a coaching group out of South Carolina and I help that group. We made a decision um, really when I was getting started. The kind of the deal was is, hey, Drake, you come in twice a month and you run what we call Money Monday. He goes, I have a bunch of clients that don't know anything about money. And if you can run those uh, Zoom meetings with these guys all across the United States, I will refer them to you. And so that's really how I started and got a lot of my first clients is just networking, being really engaged in Facebook, finding that niche. Um but so those numbers are going to depend entirely on what some of your goals are and to kind of get back to what I was saying before. We were talking with some guys in this coaching group and we have weekly calls and, and one of the guys was saying, hey, you know, my close rate on when I'm getting leads is 65%. Is that mm-hmm. good? That was the question he posed to the group. And I was like, man, that's an interesting question because mm-hmm. it kind of gets to the root of what we're talking about and what we're trying to do from a business standpoint is, okay, 65% might be fantastic and it might be horrible. Nobody knows. If you're shooting for 50% and you're doing 65, fantastic, dude. What a great mm-hmm. close rate. If you're shooting for 75, <laughs> no, it's not very good, yep. right? So the, the numbers is just a data point. It doesn't really help you understand. And so really this is where kind of that, what are some expectations for your business? What are your goals inside of the business? If you would have said like, hey, my goal is a 
60% close rate and I'm doing 65, does that feel like I need to maybe raise my prices? That's the better question to ask. Mm. You know, see what okay. I'm saying? Like yeah. that's where, okay, he's got some level of benchmark inside of his business. And now we can go, okay, this is the data that we're seeing. This is the benchmark that we'd like it to be at. It can be on either side of that benchmark. What are we doing with that information? You know, if our close rates mm -hmm. may be too high, that might mean, hey, maybe our price is too low and we need to raise prices. But just having that data point isn't enough to actually make good decisions inside of your business. Yep. And so, again, it's going to vary client to client. We have a client uh, in, in the kind of Des Moines metro area and their car dealership. And one of the, they try to make a thousand bucks a car. You know, I'm having small talk with the owner one day, mm -hmm. and he goes, "Dude, we try to make a thousand dollars a car. Uh, doesn't matter the vehicle. That's kind of where we want it to be." And I said, "Dude, you have about nineteen thousand dollars in fixed cost every month. Like that, it's operating costs, rent, yeah. payroll for your administ admin people. Like it's about nineteen grand over the past twelve months. That's kind of what it averaged out to be." I said, "Instead of us having to wait." Instead of you having to wait to know if you've had a good month or not, when we meet in the middle of the following month, how about you just go, if I don't sell 19 cars, we don't, we just break even. Mm -hmm. We don't make any money. So if it's the 20th of the month and you've only sold 12 cars, probably going to be a little tough to go, did we make money this month or not? You know, yep. it's just quick little numbers like that. And the math isn't hard. Like the math isn't this revolutionary like fancy calcu calculus three type stuff that we're mm -hmm. doing. It's basic division and addition and subtraction. Yeah. But getting some of those key little metrics, we call them KPIs or key yep. performance indicators, getting some of those inside of your business to help you kind of stay on track can really be a huge driver for your business's success. Yeah, that is a massive thing. And that's a big uh, continuous improvement tool that, you know, yeah. primarily started manufacturing, but... I got to see it starting to enter the construction world when I was in that. For sure. And how we could, yeah, break down every crew got their own KPI. Yep. And then the key was, okay, we got a number, but then there's also like a, a sheet, a little tool they'd fill out every day that's, okay, what do we do with that information? Was it good? Was it bad? Why was it bad? Why was it good? Yep. And if you can write down those things you learn from that, what's good or bad, then you can spread that information. You know, if you got a big company that does the same thing in different places, then hey, you can this team over here did really well because of that. And then you can right, translate exactly. that elsewhere. And then it helps the like the foreman of the crew really get a clear vision of what they're doing good, yep. what they need to get better at. And even at a higher level, the the superintendents are observing, you know, fifteen to twenty crews. Yep they can hop on just on this one wall. They have like most of the information they need to make a decision. Right. So kind of, yeah, pretty similar. Cool to see a so, example on the more financial side of, of that. So you talked about, you know, we work with tons of contractors and service businesses. That's kind of our bread and butter. Hmm. Um, what has been your experience? If I could flip the interview sure, on you a little sure. bit, like, so I, I kind of have an understanding of my thoughts on this a little bit, but I just want to pick your brain. Like, so those we, we agree that those are good things to have and to track. Mm -hmm. um, what has been your experience from the guys that are maybe at that foreman or below level, their thoughts on doing some of that? Like that I mean, the, the initial thought is always like, oh, God, more paperwork. Because, <laughs> you know, yeah. no, nobody who works in the field likes paperwork. Right, right. 
And so my my job on a, a couple of my project sites, drawn wind farms, mm-hmm. um, I got to be the lead of this continuous improvement initiative. So I was the one in charge of training any of the foremen and people on site that couldn't make it to the primary training that our corporate trainers would come to site and do. And yeah, so at first they're just like, oh, you know, it's just more paperwork we have to do. And the ones that were like, you know, open to wanting to be better at their job, I think they picked up on it pretty quick. You really, it's, it's a mindset sort of thing. So first you have to prove, okay, this really, this takes you, if you know, you're not, if you just record your numbers throughout the day, which takes right. no time, then when you get to this piece of paper, like 30 seconds later, you should be done. Right. And then it also gives you all this information to use as well. So it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely just a, a mindset battle and you really got to, that's the, where I, I think the implementation is always kind of tough on that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like if you can nail the implementation and have a streamlined process, it's probably going to work. If you don't, I've found it just goes up in smoke. Mm-hmm. Like adding oh. that little kind of segment to it. If you don't implement that correctly so that people understand what's going on, it's going to fail in a month. I promise mm-hmm. you. Oh, hundred <laughs> percent. That's where it really comes into leadership is a big thing. Yes. So like if, if on that like particular site, if you're, site manager and the the superintendents aren't like totally bought in you know i could push as hard as i wanted and unless the people that are really you know have that ability to control the site are bought into it so it's really you got to kind of work your way down as well you got to get the top people to buy in and be willing to put in that effort um keep people focused but and, and then like you were saying though it's it's not rocket science. Right, exactly. I mean, I've been out of school for three and a half years now, and I haven't done calculus once, <laughs> even though I spent four and a half years doing nothing right. but basically crunching numbers. <laughs> yeah. You know, once you get to the real world, even even if you are in more of a math-based engineering role, now computers will just do yes. most of the crunching for you. Yeah. But, yeah, it's really – and that's why continuous improvement is something that – my personal mission is to try to bring into more and more right. different uh, industries because it is the standard manufacturing, and it's gotten more and more into construction. Yep. Really, you only see it in the the giant companies like the Whites or Turners because they right, right. have the money and resources for their own division. Yep. Um, but I, like smaller contractors, man, especially in construction, there's so much just waste. Oh, incredible amounts. And I know the, a lot of them can be, you know, pretty penny pinching on some things, but then you see just like thousands of materials being wasted, man hours not being utilized. Yep. And, and at the same time, when you're doing this continuous improvement stuff, if you are doing it correctly, you should be making it easier for your workforce For regardless sure. of the discipline yep because you should be improving how the process works and if it's improving it should be easier to handle so yep. it's yeah it's a whole it, it you got to convince people of those benefits yep. more than it just being oh it's going to benefit the company money wise which it should but yeah it can also benefit the people a lot yep yep where i see it is um People are already so busy that they go, mm-hmm. this is just another thing that's going to make me busier. Yep. And they're, people are really, you know, if you're a leader in your organization, you cannot be thinking day to day. Like mm-hmm. if your time t- timetable is like this next week, that that's all you're thinking about, 
you are in a world of trouble. Because if you are in that day-to-day, you need to be thinking months in advance, right? And you you have to be the visionary for your organization to lead it to those goals. And so if you're not thinking months in advance, like right now, uh, just to give you guys some insight, I'm already thinking what next December is looking like for our firm. And -hmm. one of my major goals for next year, and this is kind of fun for me, but it's also, you know, where I want us to go. I want to take a month off next year. Mm-hmm. I want, you know, like next August, September, I want to literally be gone for a month and only take a few calls, like have a few meetings with my regular clients that we meet with on a monthly basis, but just travel, just yep. be gone for a month. Like that's one of my goals. Knowing though, that that's one of the goals for our organization. I know that like, Hey, I really got to make sure that our processes are really sound mm-hmm. and that I have the right people in place to handle everything else while I'm gone because we're not there right now. You know, I can't yeah. go leave for more than a week at a time right now without the wheels just falling off, without people having no clue what to do. So we're building out those processes, but we're, we're thinking long term. Like right now, I'm not doing like if you came into us and said, hey, Drake, I need you to clean up our books and we need a tax return filed and da 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 da. And then we want monthly bookkeeping after that. I'm probably going to touch your stuff for 10 minutes. I'm going to mm-hmm. review it. I'm going to check mm-hmm. it when it's done. Or or I'm going to just give it a quick once over for like a sniff test, knowing my relationship with that client. But I have people that are going to work on it. Like that's how your business has to be. Like mm-hmm. to, to scale and grow. That's not, if you're just starting out, that's obviously not where it's going to be. But to scale and grow, that's where you have, you cannot be a technician forever. You have to be yeah. able to grow and to think long term. But this is where I think a lot of businesses one maybe even fail or just really get stuck where they're at is they they're not thinking long term and what they need to set in place to get them out of their current role mm-hmm. and building up that next role um and so so when i talk to guys about these numbers and putting these metrics in place or even having like a quick little thing to fill out on a daily basis it sounds like they're just adding another half hour or an hour to their work day and that's the mm-hmm. way they think about it because you're thinking short term. So I, I've felt a lot of pushback in this area. The problem is, is I know it's so beneficial for your company to have metrics, to have things that you are tracking and actually utilizing that to make decisions. And that's really where you start to get to the point of like, okay, are you, do you just own a job or do you own an investment? Yeah. Because you gotta think of your business as an investment. And if you think of it from, you know, like if you're an investor in Coca-Cola, you're not on the assembly line mm-hmm. <laughs> mixing the ingredients together or bottling or anything like that. You are sta- staring from a 30,000-foot view and going, is this company making good money or is it not? And and that's where you want to ultimately get to. Obviously, it's easy to say that while we're sitting here on a podcast. Just go, you should yeah. think of your business as an investment, right? <laughs> so it's kind of fun to say. But it's the practical, like, how do you get it to there? these are big decisions that you need to make. And so that's why mm-hmm. I talk about this kind of with a lot of passion is because I know that there's opportunity and I see what's coming in the next five to 10 years. And I'm going, business owners, listen, if you start to do this now, you're going to be an expert in five to 10 years and you're going to be light years ahead of your competition that is not doing mm-hmm. these types of things. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. And for me, the way I kind of came into that, it was you know, starting an engineering that's all about just breaking down massive problems yep. and how to get from where you're at to the 
desired solution. And then, so that kind of already got into my brain. And then once I started, I worked for between smaller and bigger companies. I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, what's just thinking, what's the difference between those two? And yeah, you you always just come down to that systems processes because you work for a construction company with 50 people. You work for one with a couple thousand. Right. You're like, how do they, how's the one with a couple thousand (laughs) running smoother than the one with 50? Yep. And you just start to see all those little pieces come together. And my brain kind of switched from, okay, the the thermal efficiency within this heat transfer <laughs> system right. to, oh, just how, how does the uh, the accounting department work with uh, the field and how does this, you know, translate to that? How does this team or how, how is this information transferred over? Just You just start yeah. seeing opportunities left and right. And yep. even though I haven't personally built a, a business up to you know from like zero to whatever i kind of almost worked my way backwards into it just saw how all the pieces fit together and then almost that, like you're an engineer <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is yeah that's uh, I, I definitely yeah, have that kind of different mindset yep for sure dude yeah so i was thinking of this earlier you're talking about running the continuous improvement and lean management so I've always been had like an interest in that. And so mm-hmm. I think that's why when I heard you talk at the BNI group for the first time, I'm like, oh, dude, I want to talk to this guy because I'm kind of I'm always intrigued by that. Mm-hmm. I got a funny story about it. I think you'll I think you'll probably laugh. So um, so the previous firm I used to work for, a uh, pretty large firm here in the Midwest, great place, learned a ton, really grew up and learned a ton about the industry there. But we were really, you know, we were getting to a size where um, as a firm overall, we were really starting to u- utilize all the different offices throughout the firm. So if one office had capacity issues, we'd push some of that to a different office hmm. uh, so that they could help out. And one of the easiest ways to do that, or the services, was the tax process because it's so time crunched. And so the firm that I worked for had, was a combination of two merged companies when I just started. And so it was mm-hmm. still relatively fresh. They had different processes. They used the same softwares, but the way they did things was different. And so we went through a Lean Six Sigma um, event to basically figure out what's the best process. And so we took three days of our office was the one that kind of championed it to roll Mm -hmm. out to the firm. And so I was on it. I was a staff. We had staff, seniors, managers and partners so we could get buy-in at all the different levels and have all the insight from different Mm -hmm. levels of kind of who's preparing it to reviewing it to sending it out the door and even the office people that were like taking in the information when it came in so kind of had a whole like a nice swath of people there and we put a lot of time and effort into this spent a couple days doing it Um, ended up finding tons of inefficiencies tons of ways Mm -hmm. to improve um, and put together a whole plan and so we rolled it out that year to the entire firm level. And so we, me, uh, the manager that championed it, and then the chief of operations for our firm, and we're talking a firm of 500 people, went Mm. into a lean conference and gave a presentation on this and on our process, how we walked through it. We showed pictures of the whole mapping process with all the different symbols. I don't remember what they all mean, but there's triangles and squares, and you can see the loops and kind of the pathway from entering the door to going out the door. And it was probably a 30-foot-long piece of paper, and it squigged back and forth four times, and it was this crazy big process. Um, 
So we, we give this presentation. It's like an hour and a half long presentation. I'm feeling like, man, this is cool. I get to be up here with kind of the higher ups of the company. Like this is a cool opportunity. The room was full of people. There was probably 100 or 200 people there listening to our presentation. We thought it went really well. People clapped. And then we got the, after all the presentations, the audience was asked to fill out a, like a, just a, how do, how do you think the presentation went? Did you mm-hmm. learn something from it? And so we got all those responses back. And the one I'll never forget, and again, remember, we're a CPA firm. The comment was pretty boring, just bankers talking about banking stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they completely missed the entire, entire thing we were talking about. Yeah, <laughs> and I'll never forget that because I was like, "How did they miss that so horribly?" Like, there's a lot of good mm-hmm. ones in there where people were like, "Yeah, you guys did a great presentation and stuff," uh, but just bankers talking about banking, banking stuff. stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> still makes me laugh. That's that's the problem I think a lot of people have going into business, and I like to think a strength of mine is that yeah, they just get really focused on one thing, or they they don't. They don't try to see how something totally unrelated to their industry could apply to theirs. Yep. And what's that, yeah, overarching lesson to be learned. Yep. And this is where I think you got to bring in people from all levels and, and have mm-hmm. open open and honest dialogue. Um, yeah, I wanted to touch on that too. Yeah, you know, so I just hired uh, my first uh, mostly f- almost full-time staff, and she works about 30 hours a week in our office here. And... I had my office administrator who's been working for me for about a year, but she only does, you know, maybe 10 hours a week. So pretty light load. She's just Mm a stay-at-home mom. But I Zoomed her in when I was doing all these interviews, and I thought I had this slam-dunk candidate. I thought, oh, she's got all these years of experience, and she's got an MBA, and she's taught in college classes before, Mm -hmm. and, like, all this. And she ran her own practice in the past, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be the perfect person. She's going to be a great fit. And so I'm talking about this afterwards with my office office administrator, and she's like, I don't know if that's the one. And I'm like, Jenna, what are you talking about? Like, she's got all the qualifications and interviewed well. And she goes, yeah, that's great, except for she wants to do it her way. She was pretty combative on two questions that you asked. And I went, I didn't even notice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, what good insight. And I'm like, yeah, we want to do processes my way. Like, not that... Um, her ways are necessarily wrong, but we want to have this is the process, and I don't want her to buck me at every corner of it. Um, and so she's like, yeah, like I just don't think she's the right fit. And I'm like, I think you're 100% right. Like mm-hmm. This is probably not the right fit for us. This other candidate who's a little bit more green, I think she's going to be a better fit because she's going to be open and learning to what your processes are and what the company process. I'm like, yeah, then that's the slam dunk. Like, that's mm-hmm. the route we have to go. And so that's where I... Th- I was like, boy, I would have never thought about that. Like, never even crossed my brain that that would have been an issue. Yeah, yeah, and that's for for me. I think, especially in the construction, and then I'm sure in the manufacturing world, the people really need to take advantage of those. Yeah, those field workers, because if you think about it, they're they're the ones actually doing the thing exactly. that the business is all about every single day, and they're, you're just sitting on a gold mine of ideas. Yep. So figuring out how to energize them, how to get those ideas out of those people, and then really suppress your ego is the biggest thing that, you know, most leaders just always struggle with. That and is a killer. Your ego will kill your business 100%. Yeah, because yeah, it's just amazing how, you know, one little one little change, and that that's a, the big thing about continuous improvement is just consistent little changes, yep. and then having that long-term 
mindset. Because if you save, you know, twenty dollars a day on one, or like, if you save one dollar on a process, say you do a hundred times a day, right, every day for the whole year, then that one little thing just saved you thousands of dollars. Exactly. And people, it's funny how people get into like penny pinching mode. Yep. Penny pinching mode, but then. They can't see this. They can't see this thing, which is basically the same concept of how the, the yep. little thing adds up. Yep. And I know in like manufacturing, when you read uh, books about the evolution of that, the reason we can do such insane stuff is because of these just little improvements. I know one example. I think in the book Two Second Lean, the manufacturing plant been in business like 50 years. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, okay, we know what we're doing, and then. They started in, in implementing lean continuous improvement stuff, and in like a few months, I think, they took a process that took them like five minutes to do down to thirty seconds, which is incredible. Which is, yeah, if you think the percentages <laughs> on that, yeah, and it's just there's so much of that opportunity out there yep. that people don't realize and they don't know how to tap into, and that's where these just continuous improvement tools, if you just take them to heart and implement them, it just can flush out so much. Yep. Profit and even, and you know. here's to where I think the issue lies in a lot of this is I think there's, and we talked about this when we had our first meeting, is this disconnect between, we'll call it the field and the office. Yep. You know, there's it's almost like there's two separate companies sometimes, and there's a blind hatred sometimes between the two, mm-hmm. where it's just like the guys that are in the field or even at the lower level, they just have such a disconnect with what's just called management. Right. Like they just and if you would just go treat them like human beings and and talk to them and ask for their opinions on stuff, you'd be amazed at how much better things can run Mm -hmm. or inform them why you do certain things. There's so much just where like if they just took a second to say why we're doing it this way rather than just telling them to do it. Yes. So I I feel like I've always had good success just getting the those field people to like me because I just like, hey, I'm not. Talking yeah. like a superior because I I mean I really had to do that because I was always like one of the youngest guys on site right and you know when you technically outrank somebody that's twenty years older than you <laughs> I mean tough I, to I win. had yeah the the way I'd win is just by being a good leader yes. talking to them and saying hey we got to do this but this is why we have to do it yep goes yep. such a long way and then yeah that's kind of the the way to connect that disconnect the the people in the field. They're doing that same thing every day, so it's hard for them to see the bigger picture, why yep. their thing is impacting this thing way over here. And then, you know, the big picture people can forget yes. what it's like to be on at the day-to-day the level. Mm-hmm. Yep, 100%. And that's the – if you can figure that problem out, give me a call. We can start a business tomorrow. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, if you got an instant solution for that, let's go start a new business because mm-hmm. there isn't one there out isn't. there. There isn't, yeah. It's, all... know, it's a process, right? And I think we live in an Instagram society or a a now, now, now mm-hmm. society where we want things to look amazing and work tomorrow or in the next hour. And we got to realize that change is difficult, but it can happen over a period of time. Sometimes mm-hmm. that period of time can be a week. Sometimes it's going to be five years. Yeah. Right. You know, it's not instant, but that instant gratification isn't always the best thing. Um for us long term it feels Mm -hmm. good in the moment but it's not great long term yeah and there's a there's a way i figured out how to kind of 
visualize, and I probably won't be able to explain it in words. I need I need to make a, a clear video. I know I've done a pre I did a presentation somewhere once on it, but how continuous improvement over over time is more valuable than even if you just have some like massive breakthroughs here and there. Right. right. Like you kind of you'd, you'd look at it like at a you'd look at it like a curve. And I don't go in the wrong way, <laughs> but uh, you can look at it like a curve. And, you know, when you have break, if you have like the value of your company is the Y and then X is the time. Remember, at each he's break- an engineer, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> at each, yeah, at, at each breakthrough, your value is going up significantly. Yep. But, you know, your, your value over time is what really counts. Yep. If you're making a thousand bucks a month for 20 six months and then you suddenly go up to 3000, yep. you know, if, if you gradually made a hundred bucks more every week, right. Uh, leading up to that 3000, you've made more than just waiting to go from one to three. So with continuous improvement, you're constantly just having more value each day. So right. that over time, it's, it's just the, the numbers are very <laughs> significant. So that, that's kind of the thing you need to If you're trying, I think that's the thing you need to communicate to the high up big picture people when you're trying to convince them is how all those little changes pay out so much more than just waiting for that big breakthrough. Right, right. And it builds momentum, which I mean, in any business, that's what you really want is just that momentum. Huge, huge. I mean, one of my buddies always describes it as you got to get to that critical mass. And, you know, if you're listening to this from the Midwest and you remember building like snowmen or building snow forts Mm. um you know you start with this little ball that you can kind of scrunch together right by your feet and then you start rolling that on the ground well that as you start to roll it that snowball gets bigger and bigger and bigger and all of a sudden you hit this critical mass where you're picking up like huge swaths of snow where you there's Mm -hmm. no way you could lift that snowball anymore um that's that's where you're starting to see some of that critical mass come play through but again it doesn't happen right away that ball's got to roll a bunch of times before Mm -hmm. all of a sudden now it's turned into a pretty sizable big snowball um and yeah reaching that critical mass is going to take some effort it's going to take a little bit of time to get there um but it's very attainable and it's ultimately what you need to do to have a successful long-term business so Mm -hmm. yeah we could talk about that stuff all day (laughs) i'm sure we'll loop back to it at some point yeah uh but i really want to kind of dig back into yeah the more nitty-gritty of what what i don't know what your side of the industry is all about because sure like i said i mean i've done administrative stuff field work engineering project planning even on the cost side but that really financial side of things I yep. mean, like, so what are, I don't know, just somebody that really pretend I don't know anything yep. about that. What are kind of the main categories of things that you're working with and why it's important for a business? Yeah. So let's let's talk this through kind of in the stages of where a business may be at, right? Let's mm-hmm. talk, let's just talk yeah. briefly on the financial statements level. Because um, ultimately the finance side is really there to help you make good decisions. Like if, mm-hmm. if I had to like sum it up, that is what we're there to do is give you data to make decisions off of. Right. So let's start, let's say you're a business probably under a million dollars in annual revenue. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let's just, let's make that kind of our separator. Your probably most important financial statement that you're going to look at is your profit and loss. Mm-hmm. That's going to be vastly important for you to understand day-to-day operations on how things are going. 
So what I typically like to do for our clients, and you can think of your profit and loss kind of as telling you how much cash, excess cash your company should be taking into the bank account or losing based on your net income. So your profit and loss mm. simplified is revenue. That's any sales or services that you provide minus your cost of goods sold. Your cost of goods sold are any of those expenses that are directly tied to creation of that revenue. So in the construction world, this is gonna be materials, labor, subcontractor costs, um, those direct costs that produce that revenue. And then you're gonna have your third category called your selling general administrative expenses, SG&A is kind of what we call them. Some people call these overhead. Um, it's a little bit confusing to call them overhead. I don't like that term because overhead technically is part of your cost of goods sold. But yeah. for, for simplicity, we I just call these general administrative expenses, right? So mm -hmm. these are going to be things like your office staff's wages, um, your insurance on the building that you're in, the cost of filing your tax return and like just basic costs that your business has to have to be a business, mm -hmm. but not necessarily to go produce the revenue it's producing. So that's kind of the distinction that I make between the two. Um, that's going to be your most important document. That's something you should be looking at at least on a monthly, on a monthly basis. The way I like to look at it is I like to look at it on a 13 month timeline where you can look at each individual month on a statement. And so if we're just, um, you know, for us right now, clients, we've probably sent out their November financials probably a week ago. So in that financial packet, they're going to get the profit and loss for the year, but they're also going to get the profit and loss from November of 2021 through November of 2022. And what's awesome about that is it's going to mm -hmm. let you start to see trends. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a quick way for you to start evaluating, oh, fuel went up. What the heck? What, why'd fuel go up this month? Well, gas prices are up. Okay, that makes sense. Or did it go up and we have no understanding why? Are maybe employees stealing and putting money in their fuel in their personal cars, right? It's, call comes back to evaluation. Mm -hmm. That's going to be one of your most important tools to evaluate. All right, now let's go look at, you know, probably any company from a million plus to you know, our clients are probably under that 20 million revenue annually. So let's, let's segment to that next group. Profit and loss is still incredibly important where it, where it starts to, if, let's say you're a contractor. Um, the next thing you might look at is a profit and loss by job where you're starting to sure. job cost. Um, you probably aren't getting to that level until you're starting to have consistently larger jobs, or maybe you're a general contractor if you're under a million, but uh, where you start the job cost is now you have your profit and loss, but you also have another profit and loss that looks all the numbers total up to the same, but it's going to tell you the direct costs related to each job. Again, you use this to help evaluate better. Why did mm -hmm. this job do better than this job? Well, did we bid it incorrectly? Did we have labor issues? Is our material, did we make mistakes on the job, right? Ultimately, it all comes down to how do we evaluate how these different jobs go. So if you know on average, hey, we're supposed to hit 20% gross profit on a job and we hit five, what went wrong, right? Mm -hmm. This is where you're starting to see, you know, probably a management team be built out and you might have your supervisors or foremen be more involved in some of those office tasks where they're actually seeing some of those numbers to track the overall performance of jobs. The other really important thing you're going to start to look at is probably your balance sheet. This is probably less important 
when you're under a million in revenue because it's pretty simple. But your balance sheet really just says, this is the total of your assets, and that will always equal the total of your liabilities and your equity. The reason mm -hmm. that this report becomes more important now is you're probably going to start to build bigger banking relationships where you're going to have some debt needed potentially. Um, bankers are going to require you to send them financial statements, and that means your profit and loss and your balance sheet because they want to know, hey, how much money do you have invested into this company? Do you, If we're going to give you a loan, we don't want to be completely on the hook if this thing goes belly up. We want to make sure that you have some equity into this. So mm -hmm. this I know is that's, yeah, that's big in construction because if you want to get to that next level, maybe huge. you get a, a $10 million job, Yep. but you don't have that cash on hand. Correct. You know by the end you'll have a profit and therefore – you know, yep. a, a successful business, but that's where you, you got to pay your payroll in that period of time. Mm -hmm. You have to potentially go buy materials. Maybe your subs require a deposit up front to work for mm -hmm. them. That's getting more and more common in today's world. It used to be the subs were always the bank and always held mm -hmm. all the costs. So the subs would have higher margins than the general um, because they're having to hold all those costs. Um, but so this is again where the balance sheet starts to play a huge role because you might have a couple truck notes or some equipment notes on there. You got to start thinking about what's our depreciation looking like for our assets. How fast are they going down in value? Um, how what's our receivables? Do we have a bunch of money sitting out there that we haven't collected on? This is where mm. this component starts to become a much bigger aspect of your evaluation of your business because. If your receivables start to grow and age, well, that is directly meaning you are not getting cash into your business, and cash is always your lifeblood. And so if you have, you know, three months worth of receivables sitting out there, good luck making payroll. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you got a lot of cash reserves in your business, or you have a nice line of credit. So this is where you're going to start to see the owners really calling customers and being like, we demand, we're, we need payment. Um, but really, the balance sheet starts to become a much bigger factor in your day-to-day -day business operations once you're kind of in that size business. So mm -hmm. we really help um, kind of our clients. One, most people just don't even know what those financial statements are. Like <clears throat> one of the jokes I always make is, hey, we can do your bookkeeping and we'll do it correct for you. Uh, and I'll send you the financial statements each month. But if you don't read them, who cares? Right. If it looks mm -hmm. like Chinese to you, like you're trying to read some Mandarin, it's like yep. that doesn't do you any good. And so we spend a lot of time just teaching, okay, what do these things even mean? Right. Like, because as a business owner, you know, I hear from a lot of guys where they're like, Drake, you know, I just want somebody to take care of it. I just, I don't want to think about it. Can you just take care of it for me? And I said, we'll take care of 80% of it. But as a business owner, mm -hmm. the finances are never going to be out of your control. You're always going to have to have some uh, oversight in that area. But I said, what we'll do is we'll put it on a silver platter for you. We're going to do all the heavy lifting. You don't need to know how to do debits and credits or how to file a tax return or even what, what it means to file 1099s correctly. You don't have to know how to do any of that, but you should be able to read these financial statements. So if we do this, here's pros and cons. If we do this, here's pros and cons. I'm going to give you that information on a platter so that ultimately you make the decision. Um, but you still have to be able to have a cursory understanding of like, okay, is this a good gross profit? Is this a good profit for the company? Is our balance mm -hmm. sheet look accurate? Like those are things that you should be able to 
not go not know expertly, but have a good idea of like, oh, this doesn't quite seem right from what we're seeing. So that's where we really try to push the advisory side and really helping you to understand what they're actually telling you because you can garner, you know, I could go look at your uh, company's financial statements tomorrow and probably in five minutes without ever talking to the, the person that runs the business, know if their finances are correct or not. Mm-hmm. Like I can just, you can just tell, like you look at them enough, all of a sudden you'll just be able to go, that looks wrong. And I know if you're using this software, this is a common problem. And so this probably mm-hmm. isn't correct. And these numbers don't look accurate because this is kind of, this proportion is off a little bit. Like I could do that in my sleep. Like it's just something we do, but you should be able to do that in your business. You're, mm-hmm. you're very knowledgeable in the day to day. And so to get you to that point where you can go, now something's wrong here. We get, we got to go look deeper into this. That's where we want you to get to. And that's really where, again, it all comes back to making good decisions, having good information at your fingertips to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. The thing that it's in my head now that it's just how, how similar that process and like mindset is to applying continuous improvement into right. like the field. Cause that's, Exactly what you want to do. Set up those like benchmark numbers, mm-hmm. and then it really flushes out. Okay, why? And you in this in the field case, you're like really just getting a little more nitty gritty, like day to day or like unit to unit. So right. on wind farms is pretty simple because hey, how fast did you do your portion of this one tower? Yep. <clears throat> and then yeah, you can flush out all those little things like oh, we didn't have the materials. Why didn't we have the materials? Or why did it go faster today because we had this tool, that tool? Yep. And and then, yeah, you, the, the whole idea of continuous improvement is really to eliminate waste. Yes. Is the, the primary focus. And then sometimes you'll find tip, typically when you think of an improvement, really all it was doing is eliminating some sort of waste. So I think there, there's kind of two ways to improve. There's like what you literally think of an improvement, like just a brand new tool. Right. Or there's just getting rid of something unnecessary is also an improvement. And I'm trying to remember where I was even going with all this. <laughs> but, yeah, just how it's such a, a similar kind of process. You're just, yeah, applying it to different things. And then uh, for me, it's like in, the, in those operational ways of like, yeah, I can I – can, just look at something and kind of be like, oh, there's probably a bunch of opportunity to improve this section because this particular waste, or if that guy's standing around in any capacity, then there's, you know, man hours being lost there. Or why are those, if those materials are this far away from where they're actually doing it, you know, we could (laughs) instantly cut out. Right. Yeah. Something there. Yep. And, and this is where it's so fun where this is all interconnected is, if you don't know your numbers anywhere throughout the business, your business is probably going to fail to some extent. Mm. You know, like if, if we're not making continuous improvements, we're probably getting outpaced by our competition yeah. and they are probably taking over jobs, which means that we're not being able to grow and scale and maybe pay our liabilities or pay our people. And so our business starts to shrink and go away. Uh, if you don't know your numbers inside of the business, now you can't say, hey, we need to go make sure we're improving over here because we keep getting outbid on jobs. We need mm-hmm. to become more efficient. Um, and so if, if they, they're just this constant circular, and again, this is where the continuous improvement comes in, mm-hmm. is if you can get better at this, now you can tweak some things over here, which tells you, you know, like a lot of times what we do, one of the key reports that we put together on more of a daily basis is we have a, 
a, pro, a technician profitability template that we've kind of put together and given out to a bunch of clients. And we work with tons of pressure washing companies. And so one of their big hangups is um, they don't know how much money they're really making on a per job basis because they might go mm. do a house wash and charge 300 bucks to do it, but they're not tracking the chemical that went into it, the fuel that took to drive over there. Like you'd have to yeah. measure out two gallons of gas, right? Like nobody's getting that nitty gritty at the company wide level. It's just, it's not worth it to track. Mm-hmm. So what we were able to develop is a system that basically says, okay, over a six month period of time, here are all the costs that go into producing this amount of work, right? So you had mm-hmm. guys that, you know, in six months, they worked 2000 hours. And from that time, they had $10,000 in this cost and 12,000 in this and 42 in this. Yeah, we come up with so an hourly kinda, rate. Yeah, an hourly rate. Yep. To kind of calculate mm-hmm. their overhead, essentially, because they're not, there's no direct materials that go into it's just labor. Mm-hmm. Well, they're tracking their labor really well. Like that, they're they're going, hey guy, when you get to this job, clock in. It mm-hmm. should take you two hours, and then you should clock out. So they know the labor side to a T, but they don't know all the other costs that go into that. So we created a spreadsheet that basically said, okay, it'll track each employee what they did for the day, and then you can apply that to each individual job. So you can see, okay, this job we took us two hours, and we bid three hundred bucks and won it. But we had $300 in costs. It was not a good job. Well, is that an efficiency issue? Did the employee sandbag it? Did we just bid it wrong and we're bad Mm -hmm. at bidding? Like Those are observations that we can make that come out of this. And now we can go, hey, whenever we do jobs like this, we never make money on them. So we either need to increase our bid or we need to provide some better training to our guys to make sure they're more efficient. And so it's just this constant circle of like, how do we improve here? Okay, it's this issue we've identified. Now let's improve that. But if you don't ever have that, then you just keep doing the same thing poorly over and over and over and over again. Yep. Momentum in the wrong direction. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Or missed opportunity. You know, like uh, there's a lot of guys we talk to too that are like, my truck doesn't leave the driveway for less than X amount of dollars. And it's like okay, how did you come up with that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, well, that's just my thought. Yep. Like, you have nothing to back it up, so maybe you're that's, missing. That's where everybody starts, but then yes. if you yep. really want to grow and make it, then you got to start thinking, exactly. really thinking numbers. And so ultimately, it's all a decision-making game. Mm-hmm. That's all it comes down to. How do you make the best decisions possible? Well, you need good information in front of you. That's our business. <laughs> yep. Awesome. Well, cool. I think that that broke down that side of things. So how about taxes. Yeah. What a. I mean, everybody kind of has a general idea of taxes, but you know, what what where is it that you can really help and things that people wouldn't realize? Or I mean, yeah, yeah. When it comes to taxes and business, I'm still pretty green. Don't yeah. really know what. <clears throat> specifics are what i tell everybody about taxes is if i could tell you exactly what you owed in april would taxes scare you probably not mm-hmm. it's the fear of the unknown that freaks everybody out about taxes because sure, yep. they come to we're in december right now they come to this time of year <clears throat> we have been 
for me, it's felt like another busy season. Like the last month and a half, we've been so busy because mm-hmm. everybody, all of our new clients are freaked out about taxes. They are completely consumed by it. They don't know what they need to bring us. They don't know how much they're going to owe. They haven't been proactive throughout the year and paid any estimates. And so mm-hmm. now all they can think of is this, that all their cash in the bank accounts just going to be gone because they got to go pay taxes. Like that's their biggest fear. And so well, the big thing about them is if you can be proactive and think about them throughout the year, they're easy. Mm-hmm. They're not a big, scary thing because we've already planned for it. We know what cash we have to have set aside. We know what that's going to look like. Um, but really, probably what we do that's different than a lot of firms is is we don't take on tons and tons of one-off tax returns. Just that we're like, that's all we do for that client is just mm-hmm. a tax return. We do have a fair amount of those, but we try to not just be a tax shop because we really think it's doing a disservice to the client. Because what happens to a lot of those firms, and there's kind of two separate f- identities in the tax world, I would say. There's the really small-town firm that all they do, like 80% of their volume is tax work. Mm-hmm. And they're just absolutely slammed from January through May, where they're working 60 plus hours a week to just crank out tax returns. That guy has no time to give you any advice yeah. to help you actually run your business. They have absolutely no time in their day. They wake up and they go to work and they come home and eat and then work for a couple more hours and go to bed. Like that's their life. Mm-hmm. So what that guy's not gonna be able to have 15 minutes to help you walk through anything. Then there's the really, really large firm that probably doesn't want you. <laughs> or they will price you out of ever wanting you. Where they, you know, they might have a couple thousand dollar minimum to prepare a tax return. Where I kind of see an opportunity in the market, and again, it's why I started this company is because I love working with business owners. Um, because I like to see the results of what we do actually pay off. But we try to position ourselves to be like, hey, we're going to be proactive with you throughout the year. Um, and what that looks like is, hey, we, we understand our numbers, but we're also going to reach out to you as we work on your tax return. So if you go mm-hmm. to like an H&R Block and you bring in a shoebox of stuff, they're going to prepare your tax return. They're not going to ask you any questions. They're just going to go, this is what they gave us, mm-hmm. so that's what goes into the tax return. When I'm working on your tax return, you're going to bring me that same shoebox, except for I'm going to make you scan it and put it into our portal so that we can track it accurately and we don't miss anything. And then I'm going to go, as I'm as we're working through it, we're going to identify opportunities. Hey, mm-hmm. you're this business. We do a bunch of those. Do you have a cell phone that you pay for personally? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, we do have that. Well, I'm sure you use that for business, don't you? Mm-hmm. Well, of course we do. We, if we didn't, we'd go buy one. Well, we're going to write off your cell phone bill then because that's a clear business expense that has a need for it. Hey, do you have a home office? Yeah, yeah, we do have a home office. We work out of the spare bedroom. Well, how big is that home office? Well, it's 100 square feet. Okay, well, we get $5 a square foot for a home office. Well, there's Mm -hmm. another $500 deduction. Oh, did you drive a bunch for work this year in a personal vehicle? Oh, yeah, we probably did. I don't know, 15,000 miles were for business. And when I'm traveling to go meet people and driving around, well... We get 62 and a half cents per mile on those. Let's make sure we add that in, you know? So Mm -hmm. those types of things where if you don't know about that stuff beforehand, you're missing out on tons of opportunity and you're leaving money on the table. So sometimes people go, oh man, that's really expensive. You know, H&R Block does it for X amount of dollars. It's like, okay, they do, but they're not going to ask you any questions. They're not going to provide you any insight. Mm -hmm. They're just going to take what you gave them because 
They're a tax shop. They're just trying to work them through as fast as they possibly can. So if you're a business owner and you're not working with the CPA, you're probably leaving deductions on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're working with like the small town guy, um, make sure that they have the heart of a teacher. So you don't have to all come work, uh, get your taxes done by me. I'm not going to be upset. We'd love to have you on. But um, like, make sure when you're looking into somebody, one, that they, you can communicate with them. But mm-hmm. two, they have a real heart of a teacher so that they can actually walk you through because most people have no idea what goes into a tax return. And really, they're not that hard. They're not mm-hmm. that difficult. I could probably get you into the top 95% of knowledge uh, people around taxes in one busy season. They're not hard to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but the IRS is the best fear monger out there that's ever existed. And they're going to scare the crap out of you about your tax return and that you're going to owe them all this money. Um, Really, if you can keep detailed information, if you don't use an accounting software, make sure everything runs through a business bank account and you're not Mm -hmm. commingling personal and business funds. Everything's got to run through that business and credit card or whatever it is. Um, And then just what I tell people too is go to Walmart if you're a small business and go get one of those like five divider kind of folders and put every receipt into that folder. That's all you mm-hmm. gotta do. You don't have to organize them. You don't have to do anything fancy. Just the first slot is all 22 receipts. The next slot is all 23. The next slot, you know, and just keep sure. until you fill it out. Once you fill it out, take that first year out, throw them away and start over. Mm-hmm. That I way- like on, uh, <laughs> at least I have an Android. And if I go right into a Google Drive folder, Yep. And I hit plus, there's a scan option. Yeah, exactly. Or do so that. For me, yeah, I can just I like sit in my car and just bloop, it scans it like yep. a PDF. Yep. Super easy. There's a lot of technology out there to do that kind of stuff with. Mm-hmm. And that's gonna be the reality is is you're probably not gonna get ever get audited <laughs> unless mm-hmm. you're a yeah. pretty large business. You know, the the IRAs tell people Again, I'm, this isn't financial advice, so if you're not a client, don't take this. But, like, you're probably not going to get audited, but act like you are. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is, though, that the IRS is somewhat of a business as well. And so if they got to send somebody out for a couple days at a time, they better make enough money to pay for that person's cost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, if, sure. if they're only going to find 500 bucks, like, they're probably not going to come after you to send somebody and have the time to look through everything. Makes sense. But prepare for like you're always going to be audited. Yeah. Because if you don't, you're going to have a very unfortunate time when you do. So when you were <laughs> saying as like a CPA firm doing audits, so what is, is that just kind of like similar to what the IRS would do? You're just yeah. being a proactive version or what, what does that really mean? Yep. So the CPA designation is what allows you to sign off on audit reports. So oh, okay. um, not was, from an IRS perspective. That, so yeah. like you can be an enrolled agent and prepare tax returns. You can be a CPA and prepare tax returns for a fee. Um, but the CPA designation allows you to actually perform audits. So really oh, what that oh. means, you got to think of them differently than an IRS audit. Mm-hmm. These audits are... Uh, fully, they're done by independent accounting firms from whatever their client is. They're independent of them in thought, word, and deed. Um, but what they're doing that audit for is maybe from a bonding perspective for a construction company. Oh, they might sure. have bonding needs, and the state will only award them so much in projects um, up to their bonding amount. Yep. 
So that could be one reason. If you get an audit or a review, they might, if you do audited financials, they might give you more to be bonded for. Um, also, banks require them in a lot of situations where they give you like a line of credit or you have a lot of debt with them. The bank might say to protect themselves, hey, we want an independent audit so that we know the numbers that you give us are accurate. Yeah. I can't tell you how many clients I worked with where if they would have just pulled their profit and loss and balance sheet and sent that to the bank, how wildly wrong they would have been. And we're talking uh, clients that are doing 10 plus million dollars a year in revenue that mm -hmm. just have crap processes. They have no idea what's going on. Like we would come out there and we would need to <clears throat> dive deep to get the numbers just to a point to where we could start auditing because they were mm -hmm. so massively wrong. I mean, they were just horrible. And wow. so you're like, how do you even make decisions off this? Um, and so if you're out there going, oh, I, I'm worried about getting audited, it, this is a different type of auditing. This is where you have a requirement for it. In the not-for-profit world, they might have it uh, audit requirements to get grants. Mm -hmm. So, like, if, okay. if you don't have an audit, you know, the state might not give you grants. These different organizations want to see your audit to know that you're using the funds correctly. Mm -hmm. um, so there's more... Um, I don't know, scrupulation yeah. uh, uh, on that type of money, especially in the nonprofit okay. world. So I always wondered what that CPA designation like, yep. really meant. So that's cool. No, and yeah. kind of on that, like, you know, they have, you know, their $10 million company, but they still don't really know what's going on in those certain things. I, I feel like that really describes construction super well. Yes. Construction always, in my opinion, seems to be about like, 10 years behind a lot of other industries, especially in terms of like processes or using technology, Yep. especially. And the I know wind farms, I think are a good example. If I've understood the history of them well enough is there was like probably a good 10 year stretch where there was just so much money in it right. that, you know, you have so much, you're just making so much money off of it that yep. you almost don't care about your efficiency. You are just looking at just kind of profit and loss. Yep. And, yep. and then the profit's ridiculous already. So you're yeah. like, what, what do we need to improve? Mm -hmm. You know? And then eventually it got, I don't know if it was just governmental, like, you know, where energy stuff, you know, regulated. Right. I, I think that got like tightened down and then maybe there's more competition between yeah. the big companies. And I think that's what got them to really start bringing in that continuous improvement because now it's started to matter. Right. But I feel like even smaller construction companies, they still kind of have that mindset of just, you know, I mean, wow, because construction is just so much money, you right. know, you, your profit might not be that much, but you still handled maybe 10 million oh, yeah, worth of easily. materials and yep. labor. We would have clients that might have a million dollar limit to their line of credit. Mm -hmm. Think of a line of credit like a credit card, essentially, for a sure. business. Um, that would have ins and outs throughout the course of a year of 20 plus million dollars. I mean, and, and they might only have $10 million in revenue, but mm -hmm. just the ins yep. and outs coming through that one account might be $10 million or 10 to $20 million. Just the movement of dollars is so incredible um, through those types of accounts that it's just like, it kind of is mind-blowing when you mm -hmm. think about it, like the dollars that some companies handle. Yeah, they, I remember uh, one of my jobs, I just had to confirm all the volumes of concrete we used and mm -hmm. like the foundations for the turbines. And I'm sitting there like just entry level, you know, field management position. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm 
more or less signing off on just hundreds of thousands of dollars a week yeah. worth of material. And it's like, oh, okay, all it really was is a bunch of just cylinders of concrete. But I can vividly remember the first time I saw a million-dollar transaction. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, this yeah. is crazy. I got, I, I suppose I got a little <laughs> numb to it because the yeah. first industry I really dove into is wind farms. And right. God, I don't even remember what the, the total dollars oh, for yeah. those projects are. But, yep. you know, the, the only people buying and building wind farms are, like, Massive the biggest hitters, yep. yeah, money-wise yep. out there. Yeah, you're seeing, like, million-dollar wires and million-dollar mm-hmm. checks, and you're like, dude, this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody has the ability to write a million-dollar check, and you're like, yeah. Now, now, now it's like, yeah, that's pretty common. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you kind of get numb to it, and then you take a step back. Like, the companies we were working for are a lot bigger than probably the clients that I serve now today. Um, but even still, you know, like, I remember one guy uh, that I worked with, he would come in, and he was so freaking out about 50 bucks. And I said to him, dude, give it six months. You will not care about $50. Like, not that mm-hmm. like you're wasteful about it, like, but I said, $50 will be the least of your concerns. And he goes, dude, never. It's, he goes, that's always going to be a lot of money to me. And I said, okay. Six months later, I said, hey, remember when we talked about that? He goes, yeah, dude, I don't even look at $5,000 now. <laughs> He's like, it's just what happens. It's just part right. of the game. You know, so it's it's funny to see you do get a little bit numb to big numbers when you're in the industry. Um, I had it the other day. We had a client that their wages, the withholding from their wages was more than our firm produces in revenue. <laughs> and you're kind of like, right. oh, that dude's doing all right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, it's so hard to even imagine controlling those numbers and stuff. Yep. yep. But it's fun, dude. It's exciting, mm-hmm. you know, because you can make a lot of momentum with it. Yep. You know, that's the other side of it, too, is um, you can impact a lot of good. You know, like I, it's fun to talk about how to scale and grow your business. But I think mm-hmm. a lot of times we miss the why behind, like, what's mm-hmm. the point of being a $10 million business that makes the owner a million dollars a year? Right. Like that, I think, gets a bad rep in society today that like to be successful and grow a good business and make good money gets a bad rep. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's because, you know, I, I think there's just a lot of greed and a lot of loss in the world and things like that. But if your why is truly like, we want to go out and help people talk about an efficient way to be able to have lots of money to go do really good things in the world. Mm-hmm. Like that's pretty cool. Um, in my yeah, opinion. If, so if, if you're somebody that I would say, give, 10% of whatever you make yeah. to charity or just doing good stuff, then, hey, 10% of a million versus 10% of 100,000. Big difference. You know, okay, great. Yeah, I made, I made a lot more money for myself, but yeah. I still was able to donate 10 times as much as exactly an in, one individual, you know, making one-tenth what I make. Yep. So it's, yeah, it's, it's it, one of those things that it's easy to feel almost guilty yeah. or if let people kind of guilt you into just staying in that, Right, right. And I'm saying if your intentions are correct, man, there's a lot of good you can do in the world Mm -hmm. when you start making good money. And, you know, there's three things you can do with money. You can save it, you can spend it, and you can give it. You can't Mm -hmm. do anything Mm -hmm. else with it. And so um, there's a lot of fun in all three of them, and you can live your life in proportions of whatever makes sense. But if you can grow, be successful – where there's a lot of fun in giving like, yeah. that could be, and there's a reason a lot of these very wealthy individuals are giant philanthropists 
because there's a lot of fun in it. Like, mm-hmm. It's cool to go fund big research projects, and it's cool to have you know help build a hospital or a school or things like that. Like those are cool things to do. Um, now we can we can make an argument as to if those are good or bad people, and that's a whole different thing. But mm-hmm. like it's pretty cool to go say you can do some of those types of things. Like I think just at that base level, I think we can agree that like that is good for the world. Mm-hmm. Um, other things we can disagree or argue about, but like those, if we just segment to that, like, hey, what's your why? Is your why um, yeah, it's, something it's, really good and something you want to pursue? It's not money being the root of evil. It's the, the why behind it. Yeah, like, it's the still, love of it. Regardless yeah. of what people want to say, money money's just a tool. Exactly. And, and, and I think that is the perfect way to sum up what we've been talking about, dude, is mm-hmm. numbers are just a tool. You're, it's all about decision-making that actually moves the needle good or bad. Mm-hmm. So if you can make good decisions... Which need good information. Exactly. And that's the foundation of all of this is good information leads to making really good decisions. Garbage in, garbage mm-hmm. out. That's, so. that's kind of why I think I was just being an engineer and appreciating engineers. I, I think engineers always have... I think they have some of the best potential to be a leader or yes. in charge of something big because... We literally spend five years just learning how to make decisions based off the information. Yep. Like, I, I, I'm sure I annoy friends and family when they're, like, <laughs> asking me questions or stuff because my, my answers are always just so objective. Right, right. And a lot of times they are the right answer, but yep. just people don't want to hear that <laughs> uh, objective one. But, yeah, that's just – and that that's what – when I've done uh, consulting, I, I try to show how, you know, it's really daunting – getting those big levels but if you just have systems that give you the information you need it's just it's all attainable Mm -hmm. yep it's all attainable out there uh if anybody says it's not they're you're probably listening to the wrong people it's very things are everything's attainable like Mm -hmm. we live in a great place to be able to do really cool things like there's not it, there's there's bad things that happen in the world. It's still pretty darn good here, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so there's a lot of opportunity to make some good things happen. Um, but you need to make good decisions. To make good good decisions, we're gonna be beating a dead horse here. Gotta have good information. Mm-hmm. So, well, awesome. I, I suppose that's a as good a point as any to end on. So red carpet time for you and your business. Let people know. Again, what you can help them with and how to get a hold of you if they're interested. Yeah. Yeah. So if you guys run a small business, we would love to work with you guys. Um, We really are are kind of our key industries, again, our service in the construction world. But really any small business under $20 in revenue, we really can help develop and grow your business and really give you those that good information to make good decisions with. So you guys can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Um, at Performance Financial, or reach out on our website at performancefinancialllc.com. Uh, ask for Drake. So, awesome! I appreciate your time again. That was that was fun to chat, and I'm glad to learn more about that financial side. <laughs> Things, a lot of dots definitely got connected for Good. me, and hopefully for the listeners. And that wraps it up for today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Drake. Again, his business is Performance Financial LLC. You can look them up online. Drake definitely knows his stuff, as you can tell. If you are a small business owner or even, you know, more than just a small business owner and you've been looking for a solution for your accounting, taxes, 
definitely check Drake out. And even if you're not a business owner, but somebody that just listens to learn, I hope you enjoyed the conversation as well and were able to learn more about what it's like to be a CPA, the kind of projects they get to work on, and how that particular side of things can be beneficial to analyze for a business. If you want to learn more about me and where I can help your business, look up Austin Shadle, S-H-A-D-L-E, or Shadle Solutions on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Instagram. As always, I appreciate your time, and I look forward to sharing the next episode.